welcome to Dragon Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. On Dragon Dialogue, we put comics into historical and educational contexts. My segment explores theoretical and historical analyses of our topic. And I talk about our topic through the lens of pedagogy and education with a focus on practical application. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out, in addition to self-published works. I have a master's degree in art education. And I'm a PhD student in the University of Florida's English program. Um, My research focuses on on gender, critical prison studies, and museum studies. And I also make mostly self-published comics. Um, So, hello, Remus. Welcome back. Hello. Yes, thank you. Um, It's interesting how we... Needed some time off because we were tired. <laughs> yes. And then, uh, I j- just so you know, uh, today's date, that w- the date we're recording this, we recorded a little bit early, but today's date is March 21st, 2020. Mm-hmm. So the COVID-19 um, quarantining is fresh for about a week. It's been about a week. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And also, I'm a little sick. I believe it is just a mild cold. Mm -hmm. It hasn't knocked me out at all. But also, that does make me not want to leave my home because I don't want to hurt anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so we also uh, want to be gentle and kind to ourselves with this episode. We planned this episode previously, but now we're both in this weird stage of having to figure out remote learning or teaching online classes. And it's, I don't know about you, but it's been very overwhelming for me to try to figure out how to remote teach art classes. Yeah, I, I'm teaching two classes this semester, and um, we came back from spring break, and at the same time as the students, we're just sort of told that we need to start transitioning to online. Um, right. So we kind of have all been scrambling and struggling to get get something online that is accessible to people and also like still gets hits at our basic like learning objectives it's been very very difficult (laughs) right and it is it's um my institution has been on spring break for like we're still on spring break technically yeah but i've been already working like administration has like written out a very comprehensive plan of course i'm at the high school level, you're at the higher ed level. Yeah. So there's sort of different situations. But my administration has actually written out a very comprehensive plan. Now, whether we can start pulling it off is a question. But we were just sort of part of. The- <laughs> they just sort of told us they were like, um, "You're not allowed to cancel class. It has to be continuous. Get it online. Good luck." <laughs> yeah, yeah. For us, it ha- is like a multi-page document multiple documents really stating out what we what the expectations are and like helping us and also part of that is built in absolute 100 percent flexibility (laughs) because this is the most mentally stressful (laughs) situation to be in yeah and i i know like for me too the other part of it is that i'm still in coursework um so in addition to having to just as an educator do this pivot as a student i am also experiencing the sort of um abrupt transition um and how stressful that is uh because we we've been joking that we're Zoom University. I think most of the colleges are joking about that right now. Um, Zoom is not great <laughs> for this. <laughs> it's 
we we're using Zoom. I used it the, for, for the first time yesterday. It has it's nice. It has some nice tools, but for like a three hour seminar, it's not effective. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I'm thinking of. I mean, I'm an art teacher, so I'm thinking of mostly doing it with like typed out instructions, yeah. um, video, that kind of. Yeah, um, yeah. With structure, it's it's better. I used it to check in with my kids yesterday, um, and that was it was nice to because then they could just ask me things directly. Um, but I mean, there's also a question of um, equity because yeah. not everyone has a laptop yeah. with Wi-Fi. And also, a, like, a camera and all that stuff, even though we some of us take that for granted, that a lot of us do, yeah. but not necessarily everyone does. So Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's been rough. <laughs> it's been rough. But here we are. Um, <laughs> we're taking a, we're doing a light episode. Uh-huh. Um, we are continuing off of our previous episode, which was episode 28, uh, Public Libraries. Um, we're continuing that idea. Remus, what was, uh, what's your segment going to be about? Um, I, (laughs) I want to just mostly talk about how the interaction between libraries and sort of YA comics and how that sort of, like, how they sort of inform each other. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be talking about just a couple of recently published graphic novels that I've read that. I think really offer uh, opportunities to the world of um, young adult literature, Mm -hmm. but may also be difficult to approach as adults because the subjects are, you know, kind of heavy. So I thought it would be helpful to talk about them. So I'm going to be talking about two graphic novels uh, that were published in 2019, I want to say. Fights by Joel Christian Gill and Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe. And that's going to be in my segment after Remus's. Yeah, cool. So why don't you take it away? Okay. Um, so we've talked a little bit about YA comics in episode 22, right? Yes. Okay. So, and then yesterday I sort of, or yesterday, <laughs> the last episode, um, I sort of talked about how libraries came to be. So I'm not going to like go super into it, but when I was doing research for my master's, one of the things I focused on is... Um, YA as a genre of literature more broadly and how that came to be and the the, the re- like a, a big part of that formalization was the role of librarians um and particularly like the American Library Association and establishing mm. YALSA right the Young Adult Library uh, Services Association um right. librarians were sort of the first ones to use the the I, the word the phrase young adult um and sort of were responsible for um acquiring those books and like distributing them and sort of building the audience so that's sort of like where i'm coming in at this like angle um cool. what's interesting to me and what i'm going to talk about a little bit is the the shift so we we talked about this a tiny bit when we talked about wortham right but like the the 1940s through 60s anti-comics crusade librarians actually were like a huge part of that um right and then now you know, librarians play such a like play such a drastically different, more positive role in sort of like comics more broadly, but especially like young adult. Um, so that's like a very interesting shift to me. Um, 
So I've got a little bit from this art, uh, essay, um, this book chapter, How Librarians Learn to Love the Graphic Novel, which is um, by Amy Keist Nyberg for Graphic Novels and Comics in Libraries and Archives. We've r- heard from Nyberg before, right? Mm-hmm. So Nyberg wrote Seal of Approval, which is like one of the more comprehensive um, if not one of the most comprehensive, like, overviews of that sort of anti-comics crusade and the implementation of the comics code of, uh, se- mm. of a, what is it, the comics seal of approval, whatever, the comics code. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, so this is, like, a, a shorter chapter that sort of caps, has, like, a capsule, a capsule of her research. Cool. So quoting, librarians discovered comic books in the late 1930s, and what they saw led them to launch a crusade to turn young readers from the lurid funny books to more wholesome fare. Sixty years later, librarians discovered graphic novels, and what they saw turned them into advocates for a new form of literature. Librarians and teachers were among the first critics of comics because they were on the front lines of guiding children's reading. I have argued that along with finding the content and format of comic books objectionable, educators also saw their control of children's reading slipping away. By and large, children's books are purchased by libraries, not by parents, and certainly not by young readers themselves. Comic books represented a challenge to the dominance of adults because they were selected and purchased by children, often without any direction from adults. Even those parents who forbade comic book reading could not control the easy access children had to comics through pass-along readership. Mm. So I just thought that was interesting. One, the shift from comic book to graphic novel, right? Being a part of this. Right. And sort of like... I th- you know, we've touched on this throughout, I think, drawing a dialogue, but sort of that, like, yeah. legitimization, right? And the and the way that sort of graphic novel gets uh, gets treated better <laughs> than comic book, right? Yeah, because they are in uh, libraries, they're in mm-hmm. bookstores. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And the other thing that's interesting here is that idea of... Um, pass along readership right and um book sharing and that being a sort of a challenge to um how adults can control what children are reading Mm, interesting it's interesting thinking about that now Mm -hmm. with um digital sharing yeah i i almost wonder if like part of the reason the attitude has changed so much is that like you the anxiety is somewhere else right like there's a different <laughs> the anxiety thing. of wanting to, to control what children see yeah exactly like definitely shifted yeah it's like yeah sure share books whatever stop going on the internet like yes <laughs> <laughs> um so i just thought that was like a super neat yeah th- way to think about it um i have a long quote here that i'm not going to read from but i'm going to gloss so this is still from nyberg i just don't want to read the whole thing she says that there's four specific books that uh like garnered supportive librarians and the two earliest ones were eisner's comics and sequential art which was published in 85 right and graphic storytelling which is published in 95 so will eisner of- i have both of those yeah so like these are hugely famous um books about co- drawing comics right right um and eisner of course is one of the most famous like well-known art uh, comic artists and then she also says Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, which came out in 93. Yeah. Um, and McCloud is like, I know even from like an academic standpoint, McCloud is still sort of a major touchstone for a lot of comic scholars, even though those books Absolutely. were not like intended to be academic. And then she, the other um, 
She said McLeod's book is often referenced by librarians, um, and then also because librarians rely on bibliographic resources in building collections, two early bibliographies were frequently cited by authors writing about graphic novels, um, which include D. Aviva Rothschild's Graphic Novels, A Bibliographic Guide to Book-Length Comics, which came out in Mm. 95, and Steve Warner's 100 Graphic Novels for Public Libraries, which was published by Kitchen Sink Press in 1996. I don't have either of those. Do you have you seen those? No, I haven't. I'm not super. I know our li- our library has a handful of like bibliographic guides, but I have like seen these conceptually, like mm. modern versions of these, where it's just like a published book that is here's a breakdown of like a bunch of graphic novels that are good for you to have in your collection and like what audiences right. they might be. So that's interesting, and that was in the '90s, so that would be sort of pre the pre the manga boom and pre sort of the YA boom that we have now um sort of like alt alternative comics right sort of the like cool. the start of not the start of but the like s- s- we're working towards that big increase <laughs> right right um so those books she says were widely recommended as resources for librarians um so these are these are just she's just sort of talking about different books that were very influential so um that that's sort of like I like that because that sort of talks about like early collecting. So you know when I'm talking about this, like graphic novel collecting in the library doesn't like start in the 2000s. It goes back earlier, but like t- the the turning point for librarians, most people um, cite is this 2002 ALA conference. Hmm. Uh, the 2002 ALA conference where they had Neil Gaiman, Art Spiegelman, Jeff Smith, and Colleen Duran um, have a panel and, like, introduce comics, basically. Oh. And that's sort of, like, that particular ALA conference gets cited a lot. So 2002 is sort of considered, like, the turning point for um, including graphic okay. novels. Um, cool. So I have a couple of things, I think, uh, or a thing from um, a 2013 uh, column from Heidi McDonald's how graphic novels became the hottest section in the library. McDonald writes a lot about libraries and comics. She was one of my major touchstones um, for the thesis. Yeah. I, I've I've referenced this. I'm sure we've referenced yeah. this multiple times in drawing a dialogue. Definitely. <laughs> this specific article, yeah. So she writes that pockets of resistance remain, but generational objections to comics have dissipated among librarians. But it's hard to stay... Dissat- or, um, she has a quote from Robin Brenner about how um, people who grew up with the stigma still kind of hold on to it, but it's hard to say dissatisfied with comics' high circulation numbers. According to librarians surveyed for this article, graphic novels are among the most circulated categories right up there with teen paranormal romance and DVDs. So Mike Pawak of the Cuyahoga County Public Library in Ohio reports that graphic novel circulation numbers match those of popular prose teen books. Um, in 2011, graphic novels made up about 10% of his collection, but 35% of his circulation, and that number grew. So, like, you know, we see this shift where also it's that they're being circulated, right? Like, not only are libraries mm. supporting them, but, like, those are some of the books that are being checked out the most, which, of course, makes people want to then add more to the collection. So McDonald traces this to the early 2000s, uh, quote, when manga, uh, Japanese comics, <laughs> was banging down the doors of teen readers and graphic novels began to gain serious traction in the bookstore market. 
Um, a generation, a generational shift powered this acceptance as librarians who came of age reading heady material by Moore and Neil Gaiman got purchasing power and started building collections. <laughs> and then a huge breakthrough for both librarians and publishers came in 2002 during the ALA panel. So yeah, um, that 2002 ALA panel. Um, also, what I like here is tracing it to manga. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, there was, you know, the manga boom with Tokyo Pop and basically like you know all these like imported titles um and mcleod also talks about this i know like everyone talks about this right that like um it really yeah i i talk about it in my master's thesis too yeah it like really changed the game yeah it did because it was so they were so popular with teens right Right. And I mean, like, obviously, I was a young kid. I was a teen. I was a teen in this time period. So I <laughs> have, like, first, and I, you know, I know you do too, have, like, first hand memories yeah. of, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My friends, like, we would buy one copy and then we would just pass it around until we could all read it. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had, I had, I had a couple friends who, cause not everyone can afford books. Cause, you know, they can be a little expensive. Right. So I had a lot of friends where, but my parents were, pretty generous with um allowing us to buy books and stuff so i would buy a bunch of books and then i had a few friends that i would give every issue (laughs) as it came i would read it and then i would put in my backpack and give it to them yeah so quoting again from mcdonald as librarians started sharing information on circulation and popular books another vital tool was implemented in 2007 the great graphic novel for teens list from the young adult library services association Released in conjunction with the Midwinter ALA every year, the list features graphic novels and illustrated nonfiction for ages 12 to 18. It not only aids librarians in finding books that audiences like, but help graphic novels receive other ALA awards. For instance, Toon Books, whose titles have been included in the list, won several Geisel, Geisel Awards on, honors, and Telgemeier's drama, Raina Telgemeier's drama, which was on the Yelsa list this year uh, in 2013, was recognized as an honor book for the Stonewall Book Award. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if Toon Books is still... I don't think it is, but... Toon Books is um, Francois Moulet. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... I mean, I, I, that's a good point though, the, 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 um, the Yalsa list, right? So we still refer to that, right? That's still like a huge yes, honor, do, yep. um, to be on that list. And I, it, it does sort of like, cause the other like parts of this have been, th- those awards being won are also what feed into young adult graphic novels gaining so much legitimacy. Um, right. So it, it, there's sort of this, like, uh, reciprocal relationship where, like, you know, Yelsa starts to recognize these books, you know, and, like, puts together this list of books that are good for good for young adults, and then those books win awards that, you know, come from the library association or are affiliated with the library association and then it's sort of like those books then become like more used in educational um, purposes. Like, right. if you're in the world of middle grade graphic novels, then you know that there's two middle grade graphic novels that came out this past year. One's called Hey Kiddo. One's called New Kid. They each have been getting nominated for the same awards. But New Kid recently won an award, and it's the first graphic novel to have won this won this award. It's the first graphic novel to win the Newbery Award oh yeah 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 so that's what i was about to say is that 2007 which was the same year that yelsa starts this list american born chinese by jean yuan yang won the prince award and that was the first time 
a graphic novel had won the Prince Award. Yeah. So it's still continuing this like yeah exactly uh, uh, the awards helping legitimize this form of reading yeah yeah it, it, and that's like such a huge part of um the, the like sort of what i was talking about in my thesis um cool so um let's see i have Eh, I have a little bit, you know, actually what I'm going to do now is I think I'm just going to talk through <laughs> since that's a good transition. So like in my, in my thesis, what I'm talking about cool. is, you know, like I'm, I, I'm talking about queer YA, but what I'm talking about is sort of like how YA comics kind of came to be a category uh, because, because like there's this shift from the assumption that all comics are able to be read by teens right to here are specific comics that are being right. published for and marketed as being for teens yeah it's very interesting because comics used to be all and i feel like um superhero yes. comics are still assumed to always be okay for teens even though some of them are like very violent and sexual <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so like my example, the like the the book I talk about as sort of like th when I trace the shift is Fun Home, because Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, right, hugely, hugely uh, famous, like very influential comic, very taught in high school and college, yeah. but like wasn't published as a YA book. It's just taken to be appropriate for teens, and like. When I say that, like, obvious, I don't think it's not, and I don't think it's inappropriate. Like, I think it's a great book. Right. But, like, there's a clear shift that happens, like, from Fun Home to, like, a This One Summer, right? And it's interesting because Fun Home was published by a mainstream book publisher, uh, Houghton Mifflin. Yeah, so so that that's sort of like part of the part of the shift is it's it's not like it's just libraries because part of the shift is that um, literature like book publishers started acquiring graphic novels um, and they had the marketing tools and the distribution to um, increase the visibility right of yeah. these books yeah. in a way that like only press can't right because it's a much smaller um, or couldn't at the time. Um, so what was interesting to me is that, like, what's interesting to me is that, like, the the young adult, the shift with the graphic novels that's happening in the 2000s is really similar to what was happening with books in the the turn of the century, like the 50s, which is a when sort of the idea of young adult book becomes, like, a viable thing. Right. Um, which is what we, what Remus talks about in that original uh YA episode that we did um episode 22 yeah yeah and and so and it's it's not exactly the same right because you know now we have like part of the shift is also like we have these giant corporate book publishers and there's giant big bookstores right and right. now amazon and stuff like that so you know like the conditions the market conditions are very different but the shift in terms of like public imaginary Right. of the books is very similar. And so my my whole point is that like this stuff that's happening with the librarians and the relationship here is that this contributes to it because you know libraries start to accept the books, they start to acquire the books and distribute them. The books then start to get like put on lists and circulated and then they get awards because they're being circulated um and then they gain legitimacy through being given these awards and then the genre, the genre just sort of keeps growing and growing and growing. And 
it's just I, I'm not like I don't have like a there, this is obviously like a much shorter sh- segment but like that's really my my interest here and what I was trying to get at um to a degree was that like there is I think libraries play like a specific and really important role in cool the way that YA has become such a huge celebrated category for graphic novels yeah awesome yeah so I just want to talk about that because I think it's cool. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much, Remus. Yeah. So now it's time for my segment, which is on education. So like I said before, uh, for my segment, I told Remus that I wanted to just talk about a couple of recently published graphic novels um, that I read that I thought posed um, a really wonderful opportunity for educators and maybe in this segment librarians uh (laughs) to bring them to uh young adults Mm -hmm. um i would say like older teens okay which is like a young adult type age because i believe young adult is like all the way to 26 what (laughs) right it varies wildly usually okay what i what i've gotten is up to 19 um but in traditional book publishing it goes up to like 25 right I mean, who's a young yeah. adult, right? <laughs> so I thought these two books, I just wanted to talk about them um, because I both find I find them both very interesting. So one is Fights by Joel Christian Gill. It's published by Oni Press. And then the other one is Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe, which is published by Lion mm-hmm. Forge. So luckily I, I was able to, I was on a panel with mm-hmm. Joel who had done Fights. Fights hadn't come out yet. I was on a panel with him um, back in October at MICE, the Massachusetts Independent Comics Expo. It was about Joel is also an educator. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure um, having young people read his graphic novel was like a part of why he's making work. The same reason that I am also interested in making work um, as an educator. Yeah. And so, and then I actually haven't met uh, Maya, um, but I hope to someday. I love Maya. Um, have you met Maya? Yeah, Eric's really great. We've um, met a couple of times, and I've been I'm I, I I judge the Prism Awards sometimes, and Maya sort of oversees the Prism Award judging. So oh, cool. So um, they are known to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to like point out that these aren't like random. Yeah. Authors. <laughs> <laughs> um, full disclosure, full transparency over here at Drawing a Dialogue. So. I just want to talk about what I mean by older teens and what we mean by um, adult supervision. And so why I rated them this way will be clarified uh, when I start talking about the books in a little bit. Um, I started to make a list as to why I thought they were maybe skewing older, but I realized I wanted to shy away from a contextless list of quote-unquote difficult subjects mm-hmm. or events. Um, that happen in the books because they seem like uh, kind of a false boogeyman, right? You see these in censored book or book lists where it's just like one isolated mm-hmm. event outside of the context of the book, which I think is a problematic way of looking at and talking about books. Yeah. Any subject can be made to be appropriate for any age. It just be- depends on how it's presented and also with supervision, right? So yeah. um, we talked about this in episode nine, which was our censorship and age appropriateness and scaffolding episode. So if you want to know more about what we're what I'm talking about when I talk about age appropriate, uh, but any subject is okay, right? Um, you can go listen to episode nine. So with any media, I encourage adults, if you're concerned, to review a work first before you give it to a young person, right? Of course. 
And so what is it that I mean when I say adult supervision? Um, it's an environment that provides a young person with comfort and explanation when subject matter may be d- confusing or difficult, right? Mm-hmm. So it's why English classes can teach books that have sexuality and violence in them. It's because the classes are structured in a way that students feel safe to ask questions and explore topics they may otherwise have a hard time with on their yeah, own, yeah. right? That's what we mean. Raina Telgemeier made a comic a few years ago about her experience reading Barefoot Gen, which is sort of like a very difficult book, right? Um, but she made a comic about uh, reading it as a young person and then talking to her parents about it it and like it was like a really wonderful explanation of what parental supervision for difficult subjects yeah. is right and of course i can't find it anywhere it looks like it's deleted <laughs> off her website <laughs> um but it's a wonderful comic so if you've read it i'm sorry i can't find it anymore. <laughs> okay. um so this is why we want kids to deal with difficult topics through books and media right? It's so that they can witness and talk about subjects in a safe environment rather than having their first experience with something be the real thing in the world. It's a similar armament for why sex education in schools is important. Yeah, yeah. To talk about the books. There are many subjects that, as adults, we believe children are too young to handle. Mm -hmm. But not all children avoid those subjects while growing Mm -hmm. up. Right. So Joel Christian Gill's Fights and Maya Kobabe's Genderqueer are both graphic novel memoirs by authors who grew up dealing with subjects some people believe aren't appropriate for children. Mm In the case of Kobabe, Air's story is about growing up and making discoveries about gender identity and sexuality. Gil's story is about violence, not only his fighting other children while growing up, but child sexual abuse, verbal violence, racism, classism, and more. Part of what makes the memoir an important and valuable format for the telling these stories is how real and folded together they are. Mm. There aren't clear-cut, quote-unquote, lessons or moments in the author's life that neatly explain certain marginalized experiences. They are nuanced and complicated, just like real life mm-hmm. is. In Fights, Gill recounts his experience growing up using various physical fights he had with other kids as markers of time. Beginning at five years old, Gill experienced hardship, including racism, domestic violence, and verbal abuse. And this is where me as an educator diverges from the book. Gill doesn't use this language. He uses the real language of his experience, which at times is harsh. Mm. One thing that stands out is how he represents a specific racist and oppressive slur that was used against him. When coming from the mouth of anger and hate, in place of the word in the dialogue, he uses a small Jim Crow caricature to represent the racist slur, an example of how comics can stand different from other books. Mm. By using this caricature, he helps visually connect that word to its violent past. It's a way of not erasing his real experiences necessarily, but creating a clear connection to why that word is violent, while also not using the word itself in the dialogue of the book then perpetuating mm-hmm. it. So I just wanted to point out that is like one way in which comics and graphic um, narrative and graphic storytelling can be used to talk about difficult subjects while also not shying away from them. Yeah, yeah. For many reasons, Fight is a difficult book 
and doesn't pull any punches from the hardships that Gil experienced growing up. But it's a book that I think many students can benefit from. It reflects a certain prolonged experience with violence growing up that unfortunately some of our students may have had or the parents or family members may have had. And continuing the idea that these stories and experiences are inappropriate for certain ages only perpetuates the stigma against these young people. Mm. Having a book like Fights to help objectify and illuminate lives is invaluable. Now, here is like a room for you to ask me questions <laughs> if you are wondering about the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, this sounds, I mean, it sounds like a really interesting, I like, I'm interested in this. I, all of my, I feel like all my questions are like the, the part of me that studies autobiography. Right. I'm like, oh, he uses fights as a marker of time. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah, each chapter is a different person. It's, each chapter starts out with a different person who he had a fight with, like a physical altercation. Interesting. And is it all, is, are any of them like fictionalized or is he it He has all... a note at the end that memoir is not like a perfect biography, that there's some, com- mm-hmm. some people are combined, like f- other things are uh, somewhat fictionalized, but I'd say it really does reflect his personal experience. Yeah. yeah. With certain yeah. adaptations. Yeah, so I just really recommend um, picking it up, giving it a look. Yeah, and I guess my I guess my question is like in terms of because I I think your point about how certain like not all children get to avoid what we right. consider like to be inappropriate for children right. is really key. I mean, I I guess I just think that's like a really important point because um, I, I you know even like um, my roommate who does uh, kids lit and I talk about this because people who study kids lit actually. Um, Sometimes people, even when people are studying um, kids lit, they still have ideas about like what's appropriate for children um, based on sort of this like mythological idea of the innocent, perfect child. Um, So I I think it's good for us to like talk about like the ways in which um, this like archetypal innocent child is a problematic yeah. figure um, and doesn't account for like the real experiences that right. kids are having. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it is difficult. And I'm that's part of why we need books, right? To help us. Yeah, exactly. As um, educators. So like fights, uh, Gender Queer also is a coming of age memoir. In Gender Queer, author Kobabe discusses air experience growing up with conflicts about gender identity and sexual orientation beginning at a young age. He structures the book with various experiences where social expectations conflict with air experience of self. Gender Queer illuminates just how mm. many aspects of society involve gender and sexuality and how finding your own path is winding and confusing in a, w- in a world that pushes against you. It also doesn't shy away from the more difficult aspects of these discussions such as dating and sex and the body. These topics may be difficult for adults to approach in conversation with young people, but are nonetheless important and valuable conversations to have. Yeah. Have you read Genderqueer? Um, I haven't read the, graf- the graphic novel. I've actually read a handful of um, Maya's cool. Genderqueer zines that the book sort of like springs out of, um, and awesome. they're very good. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more didactic, I would say, than Fights is. But part of it is also mm-hmm. just explaining our own experiences of gender mm-hmm. in the world. I feel like that's pretty common. I mean, since I since I like have written about and I tend to I like I study sort of queer autobiography. Um, didactic is like a pretty common right. mode, and I I often wonder if it's like 
I mean, partially it makes sense, right? Because you kind of have to explain, or you feel like you have to explain stuff. But I also think some of it maybe is like the condition of getting Oh, published. yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That's true for my own book, The Breakaways. <laughs> I have a transgender character and I was told I had to explain what trans meant. Yeah. Yeah. I tried yeah. my best to not make it like just like a narrative block, but... Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with being didactic, but I do think it's one of those um, things where the the publication context often shapes the way the literature is formed. Mm -hmm. That's a great observation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I sort of just wanted to end talking about mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, which is that uh, Young People's Literature Theory by Rudine Sims Bishop. I can't remember the original episode I talked about it on. It was probably episode one, two, three, four. I talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was very early. It was one of the very yeah, early Yeah, I ones. talk about it a lot in my uh, thesis just because basically it's a, it's a very clear argument for why we need marginalized voices to be published and also read in schools and in libraries, right? Yeah. Um, I just want to talk about my own experience reading these books, right? So Fights uh-huh. is vastly different from my own experiences, but genderqueer felt very, very similar. I personally actually also identify as genderqueer. These two right. books are an example of mirrors and windows in young people's literature, which is, again, that theory by Rudine Sims Bishop. I'll make sure to link it in our show mm-hmm. citations. Where genderqueer is a mirror reflecting myself back on me, Fights is a window with the author sharing an experience with me as a reader that is very different from my own experience. What is unique is how both of these stories go so often untold. They are from marginalized voices, and any person would benefit from reading these books. It's not often that I find books like Fights that reflect experiences that I know some of my students have had that I would that mm-hmm. I know I am unable to relate to them on. But having a book like this mm-hmm. in my library is extremely beneficial. And it's also not often that I find books like Genderqueer that mirror and reflect my own unique experience with gender. I believe Kobabe's book mm-hmm. would be an amazing read for any young person, but especially a teenager whose gender identity and or their sexual orientation may be different from society's expectations on them. Yeah. Books like these are very empowering for young people, and they may be difficult and hard topics presented in a frank way. They are nonetheless important to young people. I hope educators and people with youth in their lives, such as young adult librarians, <laughs> uh, pick these books up, read them, and consider sharing them with kids. I also just wanted to do a special shout out um, in this segment uh, for Lawrence Lindell's new comic. Uh, they published it themselves. It's titled From Truth With Truth. Lindell's graphic novel mm-hmm. is also a memoir uh, dealing with difficult subjects such as bipolar, PTSD, violence, poverty, and an uprooted childhood. It's also a wonderful book that talks about subjects that could be very valuable for educators to have in their classrooms. And I recommend ordering it directly from Lindell. I'll make sure I put a link in the show citations. I got to talk to them briefly um, this past December at Comic Art uh, Los Angeles, uh, Cala, and and they talked to me Mm -hmm. about how uh, they valued creating a book that uh, tried to minimize imagery and language that could be triggering to an audience, which I thought was really thoughtful and considerate, um, especially for a young audience. Yeah. Again, while genderqueer and fights both have very frank imagery for these things, I also wanted to recognize how, while it's valuable to have frank imagery, it's also valuable to take into consideration triggers and content warnings and letting people know mm-hmm. that these images are going to be a part of a book. And Lawrence Lindell actually very specifically 
was highly conscious of that while creating their memoir. So I wanted to do a little shout out to that book, which is also quite wonderful. And that's it. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Do you have I do you have a schools of the community for us? So <laughs> schools of the community, it has been quite the mess oh no <laughs> yeah uh so as you know i started in t- episode 28 i started a new segment called schools are their community basically talking about the state takeover the rhode island state takeover of po- providence public schools yeah and so essentially a lot of that has been eclipsed by the COVID-19 scares. Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of work that has been eclipsed. I have recently, um, maybe a week or two two weeks ago, I went to a community design uh, forum in which... So I'm part of the community advisory board. Mm-hmm. And the community design people are actually a separate uh, group. And what they were doing is focusing on trying to found... Um, Accountability, and there's three teams called uh, one is world-class talent, uh, how to mm. a- attain a skilled, diverse uh, workforce in Providence Public Schools, because part of the issue is the teachers and the faculty. Mm. The second one is excellence in learning, how to raise academic expectations and performance for students and enhancing school culture. And the third was is engaged communities, how to get families and students and community groups engaged in the province public school system. And so mm-hmm. I actually talked to the world-class talent because, as you may know, I'm an art teacher. However, I'm an art teacher who drives up to Massachusetts um, to teach because the school system in uh, Rhode Island has a very s- strict and rigid certification program. And you have to have a mm-hmm. bachelor's degree in education as well as a master's degree. And of course, I have a bachelor's degree in art and I'm interested right. in being an art teacher. So it seems a little bit silly <laughs> that I would need. <laughs> but uh, teachers often have to go back to school, get a new bachelor's degree and yeah. then a new master's degree. Right. And so yeah. they were talking about uh, trying to open up those possibilities taking into resumes into account rather than just bachelors, like resumes and experience, which I have almost 10 years of experience being an art teacher, but I still would never be able to be hired by the province public school system. Um, So things like that, that are inhibiting uh, teachers from being hired, right? That's like really limiting the Mm -hmm. applicant pool, but the actual community advisory board, which I'm a part of, this was an awesome event Right. But the community advisory board that I'm a part of actually was supposed to meet in April. And I have a few. So Uh, basically, I had a meeting in January and then I was going to have a meeting in April. This is the timeline that we're talking about in the bureaucracy of this. Right. Yeah. And that meeting in April, my guess is is going to run into some bumps here um, based on the COVID-19 happening. So that's my update for my segment, uh, Schools Are the Community, where I'm going to be. which is after our two main segments before our conclusion, where I'm going to be continuing to talk about the uh, Providence public school system state takeover, because it's just going to be bureaucratic and it's going to be long. And I, we live in a small state and I just wanted to be able to document it for transparency as best as I can. And what I have is this podcast. So thank you, Remus. That's my update. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wondered if uh, the COVID-19 stuff was um, interfering with, you know. <laughs> well, honestly, it 
it's been mostly they were planning on having a meeting in April. They were planning on having a meeting in January and then a meeting in April because that's just the way this bureaucracy works, right? And this is why people get burned yeah. out, right, pretty quickly yes. in these systems is yes. because you get frustrated and you're stuck with months of hearing nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Speaking from personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I haven't heard anything. My guess is it's going to be delayed. They have province public schools, I believe, are closed right now, but they have been giving out lunches. I don't know if anyone out there does live in Providence and needs help uh, getting lunch, um, but they do mm -hmm. have free lunches still during the days. Okay. So go. Um, good. I think it starts at 11 a.m. So go down there if you want to grab a lunch. Thank you so much, Remus. Thank you. Okay. So now it's our conclusion. Um. Do you, before I talk, do you have a conclusion? My conclusion is we are only getting richer and richer in the graphic novels that are being published. I have some concerns. I don't need to like fear monger over here. I have some concerns that COVID-19 might prove publishing to be, to falter a little bit because we do mm -hmm. rely on cheap printing in China, um, which is disappointing. And I hope that we can adapt our publishing to mm -hmm. work with that, that. But we are, right now, it feels like we are very rich in graphic novels. And I just wanted to talk about these few graphic novels that came out that I think are just full of content and possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thank you. Yeah, I, I guess because I, I don't I don't have a um, I, I agree with Kathy. Um, I don't have a specific to this. But I, I what I wanted to say for my conclusion, honestly, was um, if, um, I, you know, this is going to go up in two weeks. So we don't know what the situation is going to be like in two weeks. Yeah. Um, but if things are still kind of the way they are, or worse, try i really want to implore everyone who's able to 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 try to find mutual aid groups in your area and see what if you if you're able like if you can if you um are able to go outside and you have a car and you can like get groceries for people who need it or like pick up medicine or help with tutoring or like really anything um We've been uh, down here. We have a mutual aid group. Gainesville has a mutual aid group up on Facebook that we're trying to sort of like get off the ground and like connect people who need help with people who are able to give help. Um, and like, I think if anything, this has been, this is a really, this is a, an, a place and an opening for us to really actually do the work that we talk about wanting to do. And so I just hope, like, I obviously not everyone can do this. Like, if you, you know, like, prior, take care of yourself, make sure you're not, you know, in danger. Um, but if you are in a position where you're able to help out your disabled or chronically ill or elderly um, community members, um, I really just wanted to strongly encourage everyone to do that. Yeah, and I'm sick right now. And some of you listening may also be sick. Yeah. One thing that we should be doing is staying quarantined and not leaving our homes. Yeah. <laughs> So yes. also that, yeah, if you're feeling sick, don't try to muscle through it. Just stay home. Mm -hmm. If you, when I say, if you can do mutual aid, I mean, if you are not ill, yes, yeah. if you are I didn't not mean, in danger. <laughs> I didn't mean to uh, counter that. I just mean, um, that's, that's the reason that we're quarantined, right? Is yes. to try to yeah. keep ourselves and others um, healthy. Yeah. And if you can't, if you aren't able to, if you like are sick or if you just aren't able to go out for any reason, which is totally valid, there's a, a thousand reasons why you can't go outside right now. If you're financially able, 
look for folks who have lost their job, especially service workers, um, freelancers, people who are losing a lot of income right now. And um, yeah. If you can chip into them, Venmo them, PayPal them, whatever yeah. you can do. Um, direct direct aid to people, not to corporations. <laughs> my classroom, actually a side note, my classroom at school, in, in my art classroom, I had about 50 masks, uh, dust masks that I have for mm. uh, plaster casting. And my coworker, has, I told her she is welcome to take them all and they are being donated to the local hospital. So if you do have masks at home, mm-hmm. keep one or two for yourself and your loved ones, yeah. but uh, the hospitals are needing them. So Also houseless people who often are also extremely at risk of being exposed. Yep. It's really, I mean, this is stuff we talk about all the time on Drawing and Dialogue, mm-hmm. but it's starting to, I mean, just as, who cares? I don't care. I'm going to get political. Just as Bernie was talking. <laughs> about in the debate it's always been a crisis yeah we're in crisis now mm-hmm. but it's there's someone there's mm-hmm. always someone who's sick and in crisis and in need of health care and things like that it's 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 yeah. just illuminating these things that have always been happening yeah and my hope is that you know if this is you know sort of a wake-up call for people that's great thank you for joining us <laughs> don't go away when this is over right yeah. like keep helping you know this this will pass at some point but people are still gonna yep, need help it's always been always. a crisis yeah Thank you. Thank you. So now it's time for letters to the editor, our regular segment where we uh, we either revisit past topics and add new research, um, and sometimes we actually read a real email that you sent us. Um, you can send us letters mm-hmm. at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. Do you have anything for letters to the editor? I don't. Do we have an email? We do. So we got a really nice email from a listener. I'm just going to read it out loud. I just wanted to say uh, thank you for doing the work that you do. I slowly started listening to your show back in the fall. Now I'm catching up at a quicker rate thanks to all that is happening in our country. Uh, it is really comforting to me these days and I learn a lot while I'm working on my own art. So thank you again and I hope both of you are well. Uh, we are doing well, right Remus? Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for that nice note. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's the letter that we have. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, and if you, I mean, we'll say this in the conclusion also, but if you want to, you know, send us anything, just talk, just, just comment, whatever, you can email us at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. Yeah, no, please. Who knows what our next episode is going to be? I'm I'm <laughs> genuinely, my brain is very overwhelmed right now. And, you yeah, know, same. No. There's a lot of, a lot of mental health, take care of yourself too, needs to be happening yes. right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very I know, overwhelming like, time it's very overwhelming i know um like my colleagues and i have been talking about the fact that it's been very hard for us to like focus on anything um i know a lot of folks are having a hard time sleeping and i'm having a hard time sleeping um so also you know drink lots of water <laughs> be gentle <laughs> oh my god i've already gone to the bathroom like multiple times during this recording because of how fluided i'm trying to be um <laughs> hydrated that's a nasty way to put it um <laughs> I'm all fluid enough. I'm leaving that in. That's um, very funny. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because I actually, I it's the the feeling that I'm having in my brain is a similar feeling that I had um, when I was working on my master's thesis. Actually, when I was writing my master's thesis in 2016, 2017, when did I graduate? I actually had a friend who died, and yeah, the cognitive dissonance that was required of my brain to mourn right 
to mm-hmm. have this thing that's huge be in my brain at the same time that I'm sp- that I just need to like write an email that I just need to do these basic things and yeah. trying to balance this huge thing while trying to do very basic tasks is a very difficult gymnastic juggle um it and is. and that's the same thing that's happening right now it's 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 yeah. It's a lot. So take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't, don't listen to any of those posts that are like, be productive, write a book. Like, no, (laughs) take care of yourself and take care of your people. Yeah. There's a lot happening right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Part of what's nice about drawing a dialogue is that we get to talk. Me and Remus get to talk. So even though we're recording an episode, it's it's a relatively chill episode and it's just nice to talk to each other and also talk to you guys. Yeah, it is nice. I just put words in your mouth, but... (laughs) No, it's nice. I appreciate... I like... I was very excited to get to talk to you today. Yeah. Um... So thank you, Downtown Boys, uh, for their song Wave of History. It's off their album Full Communism. You can get it off their Bandcamp. Bandcamp yesterday waived all the Bandcamp fees. Bandcamp is... Spotify means you have to have a label. Spotify barely gives any money uh, to the musicians. Bandcamp, get mm-hmm. yesterday at least, but also takes a teeny itty bitty cut. Get most of the money goes to the musicians. Buy your... Music off of Bandcamp, maybe f- from the band Downtown Boys, maybe <laughs> perhaps the whole album full of communism. Well, maybe the there. album full of communism. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, Thank you. Um, you can, yeah, you can get all the citations for this episode um, on drawingadialogue.com, um, you which is hosted by Kathy's very good comic art website, Comic Art Ed, Comic Art Education website. Excuse me. Thank um, you. I just said this, but email us at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us if you prefer tweeting. Um, at It's at draw a dialogue. Yes. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at E-H-E-T-J-A, E-H-E-T-J-A. One of these days I will change that handle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working um, on it. And you can follow me at Kathy G. John, C-A-T-H-Y-G-J-O-H-N. All right. What are you reading, Remus? Ugh. I hadn't thought about I'm not, I didn't think to prepare for this question. Um okay, here's here's what it is. Animal Crossing came got. out. I know what you got. Yeah. <laughs> so Animal Crossing New Horizons dropped um and I I really like having something that moves very slowly that I have complete control over my interactions with it. Cool. <laughs> um, that I can take in small pieces. Yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a welcome it's a welcome relief um in these trying times. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you reading? <laughs> I'm reading this giant novel. You might have heard of it. It was nominated for the Booker Prize in 2019. It's titled Duck's Newbury Port. It's by Lucy oh. Elman. It is over a thousand pages. It's a hefty Ooh. boy. It is also it barely has any paragraph breaks or periods so if you flip through it it's mostly a perfect rectangle of words with a lot of commas it is awesome it's very weird i love reading a weird novel i don't like a novel when i know when everything is just written normally you you like a (laughs) postmodern novel i do i quite do um (laughs) it reminds me if you ever had a beats generation sort of 
phase like I did when mm. I was young and you want and you like that like stream of consciousness kind of thing but you yeah. don't want it to be uh pretentious or extremely masculine um I would recommend this book it rules it puts me in the mindset of like reading poetry it's very poetic nice. and like the words are cool I love a book that's more <laughs> of an experience and not necessarily plot driven like it's like right. quite yeah. the experience yeah I'm really really enjoying it I'm um a hundred pages That's in, so which cool. normally would be a lot, but it has barely dented it. <laughs> yeah, Kathy, have you ever watched any of um like Kenneth Anger's short films? It's 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 seems somewhat familiar, but I'm not a big movie watcher. Maybe this That's is a true. confession. I barely ever watch television or movies, which makes me sound yeah. extremely pretentious. But it's just I to- I'm bored. I'm bored by them. <laughs> No, that's fair. No, I, I this week in film class was experimental film. Um and cool. I think you might I think you might like Kenneth Anger. I think he'd be very It your sounds vibe. familiar. What is Yeah, like- it he is a underground gay filmmaker who made oh, like Oh, right, of course. Yeah, very very cool uh short uh homoerotic surreal experimental films that are very yes, punk. Of course. They are he is written about uh, by a lot of authors like Chris Krauss and stuff like that mm. right about him. Yeah. So. That's it. That was Strong and Dialogue. It. What do I do? <laughs> All right. What do I say? Um, um, we say goodbye. All right. Let's say goodbye. Uh, thank you for listening to Drawing and Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. Farewell to our intrepid volunteers. You got this. Solidarity. <laughs> uh, direct A, mutual A. Bye. Bye. Bye.